It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. Don't forget uh, Smoky Mountain Organics with three locations to serve you in East Tennessee, including that location on Kingston Pike, right across from Trader Joe's. You can buy online uh, by shopping at their website at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. If you're suffering with those allergies, many other things that people are going through right now, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store is Smoky Mountain Organics. Be sure and check them out. Don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube as well as uh, we dive into plenty of things UT Athletics, a lot of recruiting going on. We got Austin Price, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubbs with you today. And um, Austin, let's just start with Tennessee. You've said for a month that, talk to me about where Tennessee is with this class in August, first, second week of August. So I'm going to talk to you about where this class is first and second week of July. Where, where, where is this? Are they ahead of where you thought they would be, about where they thought you would be? What, what's your takeaway on obviously where this class is overall before we get into the individual commits that they've received. Well, we sit here on this Tuesday and, you know, two of the three or sorry, three of the four um, offensive tackle prospects that Tennessee officially visited in the month of June are off the board. Two of them went elsewhere. Francis went to Miami. Lucas went to Florida state. Um, you, you got Sham Umarov and then we're waiting on Stanton Ramil. So if you land Stanton Ramil, you got what you wanted. You wanted two out of the four. Anything more than that would have been gravy. Um, and so, kind of where I thought they would be. You know, uh, you know, we're still waiting on Nathan Laycock. We're waiting on Stanton Ramil. Ricky Gibson has told me he's going August fifth. So, like that's kind of the next dominoes to potentially fall for Tennessee. Now we'll see if they get them all. But that's kind of where we're at. Um, you know, and then Rico Walker, the more, I mean, he's keeping everybody in the dark, including his family. So, but the more people I talk to just does not feel like Tennessee, but you know, honestly, the kid doesn't talk. So I don't think you can rule out anything at this point, hubs. I mean, like I, it could go a number of different ways. I don't think you can rule out Maryland. I, I don't think you can rule out North Carolina and I don't think you can rule out Tennessee. So where are they with, with, with Stanton? Um, and obviously that's that's a big a big one because you wanted two of those four as you mentioned. Where do you think they are with Stanton? And if it's not Stanton, where do they go? Well, if it's not Stanton, I think you'll see them take a more methodical, slow approach, see who has a good senior year, get some, you know, get a month into the to the high school football season and figure out, you know, senior tape at that point. Um I think they'll be a lot slower with how they do things. If they land Stanton, then I think they'll still be that way with the remaining offensive line spots they have slotted. But it, it does take a little bit of pressure off. If you've got Stan, Sham and Stanton, and then you can just kind of, you know, really kind of pick and choose and, and kind of go more fit than than just, you know, got to have a body. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, out of those four, they all, they, they coveted those four. And so they were going to be happy with any combination of the of two. Anything more than that, they would have just been to the moon. You know, the question too, Rob, is, is I mean, when you're sitting here, you want you want two of those four. Anything above that would be gravy. How much of this um, is it a situation where 
you're holding a spot for potential transfer. I mean, that's a whole, that's a world that's just different than, than where it was a year or, or two years ago. How much do you, if you're a coach, do you sit there and go, okay, well, we may be one short, but instead of combing through, I mean, we'll comb through senior tape, but how much of that is that we want to wait and see what transfer guys are out there as well? I was actually getting ready to ask AP about the numbers, however, because what, what are they sitting at now? 18 a- after yesterday? Yes. And so real, realistically, I mean, how many legit high school targets are out there that have a guaranteed spot versus what you're just talking about, Hover? The, the transfers and I, I was I wanted to bring that up because I mean we talk about it all the time it's a part of college football but I mean when you're starting to do these preview articles like we're like we're doing right now I mean you can really see it I mean Pittsburgh's starting quarterback is going to be a transfer I mean they got a big time wide receiver transfer from Akron I mean there's just everywhere you look in college football there's guys who are you know transfers who are going to really shape you know, what your team looks like. And that's why I wonder would, you know, for Tennessee sitting here at 18 commitments before August, I mean, how many more, you know, how, how deeply are you involved in, in high school recruiting versus holding two or three spots when, you know, when you've had the success and the transfer portal that the hype on the staff have two springs in a row now? Well, I think, you know, you can pick and choose what you want to do with it. I mean, you can sign as many as you want as long as you're under the 85. I think most staffs across college football feel like that the free-for-all this December will be way greater than before. Like kids have now seen kind of how this stuff plays out. I I think you're going to see more of a mass exodus across the board. So schools to me will have to figure out, okay, who's worth – keeping and who's worth throwing back and letting go. Cause I think you're going to see, you know, potentially a lot of change across the, a lot more than normal. Um, because I just think that's going to become the new norm because all these kids see what, you know, a few of these kids did, you know, from January to now with getting, you know, NIL deals and this and that, I think ultimately they have, will they will see, uh, you know, a lot of change. So Tennessee, I feel like can still sign a, a large portion of prep kids and it's not going to necessarily affect them hubs when it comes to being under the 85 and still be able to bring in transfers. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, it, it's all about the 85 number with, with the, you know, the 25 cap looking like it's, you know, going to be out of, out of the wayside and not a factor here. My question is this, I mean, I continue to hear that as well, AP, that, that this is going to be, the wildest December. I mean, there's going to be mass people jumping in. You think that's just a case where a bunch of guys think they're going to get big NIL deals by going to other schools because the NIL factor was such a big deal in the transfer portal this past year with guys. Is that what's causing this? But what, what do you, why do you think coaches feel like there's going to be a mass exodus of people out there? Just because I think it's such a copycat thing. I mean, it really is. And you know, there were players that got big NIL deals at other schools that transferred that were just kind of okay players. Like, I mean, you know, schools were a little more desperate than they were before um, when it comes to, you know, the transfer portal, bringing in transfers, got to have this guy. Well, he only had, you know, very little production. It don't matter. We got to have him. Have you seen him? I I think we can get the most out of him. That's, that's every coach thinks they're the, you know, 
going to turn the water into wine, so to speak, um, with, with, with kids. So yeah, I just, I just think you, everybody I talk to is projecting this. Now, maybe it don't happen, you know, but uh, I think, you know, if you're Tennessee, you, you go and sign as many kids as you, you know, can, especially if they, you feel like they can be of value to your team. Rob, how do you, I mean, as a coach, I mean, you're sitting here looking at that's the, to me, that's the most dangerous slope, right? I mean, that, that is the equivalent of overpaying for a free agent, right? You, you go take a guy and, and, you know, take him from another school and, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're in a situation where, you know, he, he's got a big NIL deal. I mean, how do you, you think coaches have to be more mindful of that and, 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 and that's something that's going to have to get a handle on before anything else gets a handle on? Because that one feels like it's spiraling pretty out of control in terms of stuff that's being thrown around to transfers out there. I mean, I think it's definitely part of it. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's no, there's no salary cap. So it's not, you know, I guess in, in theory there might be about how much your collective has, has to spend. But there's no hard cap. I think for coaches, making sure that like, what AP's talking about, making sure that you don't, you know, inflate how good a guy is or how much he can help you just simply because of your own needs. And I, I think the NIL stuff, I mean, what do you guys think? I think it's going to be more driven by what AP just mentioned about who's desperate and who's not. I and mean, I think you're going to see more people coming in with big rebuilds, being more willing to, you know, inflate a guy's value on the NIL market because they are so desperate to, to turn things around quicker. Um, for me, if I'm a guy like Josh Heupel and his staff, which, you know, you're right, we wouldn't say your roster's necessarily set yet, but what the transfer stuff does to me is I'm way less likely to to reach or maybe reach on a high school kid that I might have, you know, two or three years ago, or like we've seen some coaches here do in January when they're trying to pump the numbers for the class up. I think the transfer portal stuff makes it way less likely to reach on a kid who, who you're not quite sure on just to fill out a number. Well, for me too, it, yeah, I think it, Robert, you have to ba- you you have to balance it. How do you look at how do you look at a situation? Let's say you've got a kid on your team that's threatening. I'm going to the portal if I don't get more nil money, and that 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 happens across college football. Like coaches are going to have to balance. Is it worth it to give this player more nil money versus? Let's go get somebody that to replace him. But how much does that person cost? And are they the same player? And it's going to cost just as much, if not more. Like you know, I mean, like it's it's a balancing act. Um, every one of these situations is a balancing act. And so you know, it uh, this is a you know this is why some of the older coaches are you know getting long in the tooth and bewildered and don't necessarily want to play in this world. In, yeah. in all in all athletics, not football. I'm talking. I mean, the reason Roy Williams got out. There's a reason some of these older coaches. Jay Wright out. Yeah, Jay Wright uh, jumping into that. Eric Kane jumping here as well, um, as he's a part of the podcast here on this Tuesday. Um, Eric, when you look at roster management, I mean, we've heard that term for several years now, and the. I've always said scholarships, you know, the 25 are the most precious things that, that a coach has. I mean, managing your roster now is, I mean, that's the whole reason why you're paying somebody a bunch of money because the, the coach that's going to be successful is not the X's and O's guru. 
he's not necessarily going to be the greatest recruiter guru. It's going to be the guy who can manage a roster, who can manage a locker room and all the things that are going on in a locker room now and can manage who should be on the roster and who shouldn't be on the roster. Yeah, I mean, you you truly are more of a – you're a CEO uh, in the sense. And, you know, there are coaches that will call plays. I know Josh Heupel is – heavily involved in the offensive game plan and calling plays and all that. And there's still coaches, you know, that will call, you know, Nick Saban to jump in there and call some defensive plays out now and again. But to be a head coach at a power five level in the SEC and the Big Ten, big time college football, I mean, you are you are more of a CEO than anything, managing attitudes and relationships in the locker room with the added influx of transfer portal and name, image, and likeness. You've got to recruit and all that. So, I mean, that's why I think there's more of an emphasis on Gosh, getting the guys you want on your staff too that handle so much of the day to day in terms of the uh, the developments and in terms of the football aspect because you have your hands in so many different pots. So uh, I I think it has never been more difficult to be a head coach of a Power Five football program, especially and and just like those guys you just mentioned right there, some of the basketball guys, Roy Williams, Mike Shashevsky, you know, uh, Jay Wright, some of these guys that have been around doing it one way for so long, Rick Barnes. Um, and now having to adjust on the fly, it's different. And so, you know, managing a roster, especially in basketball, I mean, you're seeing guys, you know, three, four, five guys leave and you're having to turn over a new roster every single year. It's challenging. And I mean, for right now, that's that's kind of the new way, especially in basketball, but you're seeing it in football as well. Back to your original point, however, um, what, what's kind of me saying a few weeks ago, you know, let's judge this thing come August 5th, you know, um, in Tennessee, since I said that Tennessee's got eight new commits. So, I mean, like, things are, are going well, you know. But, I mean, I, I, everybody's always going to, you know, point out the ones you missed, but you, you make sure you point out the ones you got. And, you know, to add Cam Seldon, to add Sean Davion Bradley, to add some of the players Tennessee has added over the last three weeks has been impressive. And, you know, again, are they going to finish in the top five? Who knows? Who knows what the rest of this class looks like? Are they adding quality players? I will argue, and maybe I'll be wrong, we won't be able to judge it for a few years. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, last year's class, which was French top ten, just outside the top ten on some rankings, you know, will end up, you know, being, I think, really pretty good. And, you know, when, I, when you look at the Caleb Webb, James Pierce, Josh Josephs, all those players, I just think, you know, you have to continue to get players that, you know, add depth to your program. To have a, a two-year run, hover of Sean Davion Bradley, Caleb Herring, James Pierce, Josh Josephs, how long did Tennessee go with like that? Like, we got one guy that can get to the quarterback. <laughs> so, if he had an off game, you didn't get to the quarterback without bringing, like, blitzes from 12 different directions. I mean, to be able to get some guys that can potentially be that, and like several bodies, like when's the last time Tennessee had this many guys that were thought this highly of um, as recruits, as edge guys? Can you remember a time? Because I don't remember a time where Tennessee had this many in the last 15 years. Oh, it's been a long time. There, there's no doubt about that. And and you're right. I mean, this, this staff is recruiting well. Um, I, I think you're seeing the results of everybody knowing what the defense is going to be. You know, knowing the offensive identity, Rob, you're not selling hopes and dreams. You know, you're, you're selling some tangible results that I, I think, yield, you know, creates a yield for you. They've certainly got to finish in, in some areas. Um, there's no doubt about that. But but given where this program is, I mean, Josh Heupel's been on the job, what, 15 months? 
Is that right? 16 months, something like that. I mean, Rob, I think the assessment of where they're at in recruiting and, and the biggest question mark surrounding Josh Heupel was his ability to recruit. Um, it, it's, it's gone well for Tennessee. Perfect. No, it never does, but you can't look at where they're at right now and say, man, they really have struggled to recruit since Josh Heupel has been here. Especially when you're talking about, I mean, they had a nice year last year, but it certainly wouldn't, you know, off the charts in terms of wins. And to AP's point about edge rushers, I mean, I think behind quarterback, maybe receiver. I mean, those are in, in today's game, those have become possibly the most dynamic, you know, impact guys on the field. And Hubbard, think about it. Am I, is this is, since was Derek Burnett in the 2014 class, maybe 13? Anyway, yes, he was in that class with so, with anyway, so you're talking that. about two quality NFL edge guys in the last nine years, him and Daryl Taylor in this league. I mean, how many guys does Alabama have or Georgia had? And and Daryl Taylor was a what? Yeah, I mean, high school wide receiver. Yeah, he was a a three-star wide receiver that nobody – Nobody, everybody. I mean, when Tennessee took him, it was like what an ultimate reach. And and obviously he he went on and his body blew up, and it was a great projection. And he ended up being a, a really good player there. Well, and, and nobody thought Barnett was going to be not the that number nine pick in the draft. No, nobody thought that. I mean, I thought he would be more productive in the NFL than he's been, but nobody nobody saw him coming out of high school being being that kind of guy. I, I want to ask all three of you guys th- th- this question. We're talking about transfer portal. Tennessee's used it to their benefit the last couple of years. Austin, is this roster to the point where they can be that much more selective in in terms of the transfer portal where it's not filling out a roster or, 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 you know, I I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, do you see them taking, you know, four or five transfers, six transfers, or do you think they're going to be a little more cherry picking just for a guy at this position or one guy at this position? Has the roster gotten to that point where the, the transfer portal is viewed a little differently by Josh Heupel and his staff? Do they have to go down to the morgue and see which one's still warm? No. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think you can you – Eloquently can, put, by the way. You, you can <laughs> – you know, that one's that one's still seventy eight degrees. Just rolling out there. Um, you know, I, yes, I, I think you have to view it that way. I mean, they're not they're not where they want to be. They're they're still building the roster they want. You know, um, but at the same time, I, I do think that they are not. They weren't. They're sure not where they were a year ago. A year ago, they had less than 70 scholarship guys. Most of them, no one thought were ever going to be factors. Some of them probably, you know, didn't think they would be factors themselves. <laughs> and yet they were out there playing last fall. And so, um, you know, I think they're in much better shape going into this fall. Uh, that doesn't mean that they don't have question marks. They've still got guys that have to prove themselves. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, you just feel a little more stable across the board from a roster standpoint. You guys know the numbers a lot better than I do in terms of where they are in terms of the overall 85 and all that. But I think it's, yeah, exactly what Austin said. Are they where they want to be? Absolutely not. But, I mean, it's almost night and day compared to last spring, last summer. They had to go get guys. You had to go get a Caleb Tremblay, a Deshaun Terry. You had to go get a Juwan Mitchell, a linebacker. I mean, you had to go get some guys and Brandon Turnage and those guys to kind of fill out a roster. You've got numbers. I mean, some position groups, you, you don't have much proven depth and understand that. 
I think after the 2022 season, Tennessee should go get a linebacker in the transfer portal. I think you're always trying to look for uh, an impact defensive lineman, but I think you're to the point now to where it's not necessarily a need. It's not a necessity. It's just a, it's a supplement. You are, you're going out and, and helping to add to, you know, what you have. And, and by that point too, hopefully, you know, adding to what you've developed, you know, behind some guys that might not be playing right now. So where you want to be, no, but I, I think you're in a position to where you can kind of pick and choose a little bit, especially in certain positions to where last year you just had to go get some guys and fill it out. Right. Rob, is that a hard? is that in some ways a harder position to be in because you, you fight, you have to fight the whole notion of, you know, as, you know, as Austin said, take the first guy out there. I mean, look, it, it was, I mean, it was pretty obvious. They were combing the last two years because they need numbers. Now you're in a situation where you're select. I mean, is but they were, but, but there was a point where they couldn't even comb back in December hubs because they didn't, they were trying to self-impose and all this stuff. So like right. they missed a, por- a cycle, a portion of the cycle. That's a good point. They, they did miss that. But, but I guess what I'm asking Rob is how hard do you think it is from a coaching staff standpoint from an evaluation of weighing transfer versus high school kid that may not help you for another year. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious when you come into a rebuild, Hey, I got to have a guy, right. Or it's obvious if you use basketball as an example, if you're down six guys, you, you can't go get six high school kids and develop them. Right. I mean, you got to go get immediate help. How hard does that evaluate? How hard is that to evaluate at this point? You think if you're Josh Hype? I, mean, I, I think it's a fluid situation. I mean, I think it depends on, you know, where, like what you were just saying, where you're at. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't think Tennessee needs to carpet bomb the, the transfer portal like they did. I think you can more spot recruit, you know, pick and choose to fill, I guess, to fill specific holes instead of depth. But, you know, I think the challenge comes in, in in what a lot of coaches complain about, Hubbard, is that you're recruiting your own roster really every day. Because you might have a hole in December that you didn't think was going to be a hole in August because, you know, some redshirt freshman that you thought was going to develop and challenge to start in the spring, you're not happy. He's, he's moving on. So I, I think that's the hardest part to evaluate is, I mean, you can just get blindsided in December and, and have a need where – you didn't think you're going to have a need for two or three years. Well, I think somebody. I think happen. that'll happen. That'll oh, I think it's happen this year. everywhere, not just Tennessee. I mean, it'll and happen not, everywhere, and not just not just football, all sports. Sure, but to humor your question, I think it's it's going to be harder for Tennessee and anybody in their position because you are going to go after juicier targets now. I mean, you're not going to be you know just chasing kids to because you need a backup guard. You're going to be chasing guys who, you know, were are plug and play starters and the kind of guys that everybody else is chasing too. But like, you don't, you don't want to be old Miss. Uh, sorry, I jumped in front of you there, but like old Miss right now is, and, and there's a long way to go. I mean, it's a long way between now and December. We all know that uh, they will get more commits, of course, but you've got six commits right now for the 2023 class. And I, I, I'm penciling out old Miss uh, right now because they're 65th in the country in terms of the rankings per rivals. You know, they were one of the teams, Lane Kiffin being very active, obviously telling everybody about on social media about going and getting guys into the transfer portal and this and this and this. And that's great. But I mean, uh, again, the what builds a team is the traditional recruiting cycle. Uh, so you can't just you can't just take the year off right now. Right. So, I mean, you, I feel like for the old Miss program, you want you want kind of a balance there because right now it's been all transfer portal. And right now, the, the the rankings for the 2023 class are kind of suffering. Again, a long way to go. South Carolina is another one of those teams, and they're a little bit better off than Ole Miss right now. They've got 13 commits, but 
South Carolina is very active in the transfer portal, but still sitting outside the top 30 right now. I feel like there's just got to be a balance right there, way more so than those two teams. And I think Tennessee's kind of found that balance last year and a little bit this year so far. Well, I think Lane's found it easier to get kids to come to Oxford that were at other programs versus high school programs. And so I think that's kind of his recruiting strategy. He'll cherry pick what he can get out of the high school ranks. Um, but, you know, we'll focus a, a ton on, you know, the transfer portal because I think kids are more more apt to come to northern Mississippi hubs than they are out of high school. Well, and, and for whatever and, reason, for whatever reason, right. it just feels that way. Well, and again, I mean, I think as a coach, you've got to try to find that balance and everybody does it different. We've seen it in the NFL, right? I mean, John Gruden has a as a Super Bowl championship ring. I know he's out of the league. I'm not going down that road, but I'm talking about him as a coach. But but he's a veteran free agent guy. He didn't like rookies. He didn't like draft picks. I mean, that, that wasn't his thing. He wanted to always trade a draft pick, you know, for, for a bunch of veteran players. He always wanted a veteran team. Then you look at a guy like Bill Belichick, you know, and, and what New England did. They, they found all these diamonds in the roughs and developed guys and – and, and, and they had a balance. They went and got free agents. There's no doubt about that. So I, I think it's fascinating to kind of see how the college game transitions into that balance, uh, which is something that the NFL always deals with because of the free agent market here. All right, a couple of things we got to get to. Rapid fire. Let's wrap up a little of this recruiting talk. And I want to get to some basketball stuff Rob had over the weekend. Uh, Austin, why did Shadavion Bradley commit now? And, and why was Tennessee always the school for him, even before he visited here? He, he loves the people, the staff, the recruits. Family fell in love with it when they came back in May. I mean, he's still not taking an official visit here. I mean, you know, he still has an OV coming up this fall or whenever Tennessee wants to use it. Um, you know, and he was going to wait. He was going to visit at the end of July, which is why I've said this for a month, and then commit August 4th. And he just kind of got tired of waiting. He just wanted to get it over with. And he even – even Friday was like, I'm probably going to commit on Sunday, but I, I'm not hundred percent sure. You know, I, you know, I might, I may want to wait and, and take the visit and then commit August, but he's, he's just ready to get it over with. And, you know, I mean, again, that, that, that's a big one to get in the boat. And now you just focus your attentions to Stanton Ramil and Ricky Gibson. And now you got new names out there like Isaac Smith that John slaughters after. So tell me about Jalen Smith. Why was Jalen Smith a big get? Break him down. Well, uh, you're trying to add inside backers. Uh, Good-looking kid, um, very productive kid at the top classification in Georgia at Grayson. Um, I was real impressed with him when I you know, interviewed him back last month um, for the commitment interview. Just a very polished kid, uh, respectful kid. Um, and, again, I, I think, you know, in talking to people um, down in Georgia, the Bulldogs are so full because, you know, they've got C.J. Allen now. They've got Raylan Wilson. They're going after other guys. Jalen really was really good at their camp. And George is like, you know, any other year we're probably going on this kid, but, you know, we're in it so deep with several guys, we, we just can't. This kid's a good player. I think that's a good sign for Tennessee. You know, I – Anytime another school, especially the one that's had the success that Georgia's had on defense, feels like you're getting a good player, that means you're probably getting a pretty good player because he yeah. apparently was really, really good at their camp back in June. Yeah, I think that was very similar to the vibe you had last year with Squirrel White in Alabama. 
you know, he was right on the cusp of being yep. a take at Alabama, even though he was undersized. They just had a guy or two above him on the board, but every yeah, time the they worked him out, they liked Lewis, him. Luther, whatever his name was, and yeah. Squirrel and him in Alabama, who's had a plethora of really good receivers in the last seven or eight years, made the comment, they didn't even close. Squirrel's a lot better than the kid from St. Louis. All right, Rob, let's talk about a little basketball here. Uh, you were in Rock Hill uh, for some tournaments that are going on. You had a couple updates there. Where is Tennessee? This is a big month in recruiting, I, I guess, for basketball. Where's Tennessee setting right now? What, what do you like about the couple of guys you interviewed? Where do you think Tennessee sets with some of their top targets? Well, the only like really top target in 2023 – that I had a chance to personally catch up with last week was Freddie Delone. And I, I think Tennessee is deep in that one. And I think he's a really good player. I was glad to have a chance to see him in person. You know, he's a little, he's a fringe top 100 guy in rivals. So some fans may not be, you know, super excited about it. He's a really good player. I don't get caught up in the rankings game, but if he's number 114 or whatever, it's, it's a heck of a year in, in 2023. I mean, he's a, he's six foot five, can, can play both guard spots. And um, officially visited Tennessee last month. He's been to Virginia. He's been to NC State. Wake Forest is trying to get in there. He has a trip set up to UConn. I think Tennessee's in the, in the top two or three. I don't. I think with the, the coaching situation at NC State being kind of uncertain, um, I, I like Tennessee's chances versus them. I know Wake Forest is pushing really hard. But they're kind of new to the game, so we'll see if he decides before school starts, which he's kind of going back and forth on. Then. I, I think Tennessee's right there in you know, one of the two or three under serious consideration. The bigger, the biggest storyline this week is Justin Edwards. And, um, you know, what's he going to do? He tweeted out, you know, top five, five-star guy, consensus, top, one of the top prospects in America. So he's going to announce this week at, at Peach Jam. Feels like it's just Tennessee and Kentucky. That's the only places he's visited. I know Auburn has, has really tried to get, get in there hard, but he, he did, has not made a visit. And, um, you know, Tennessee and the Wildcats, I don't have a great feel. I don't think I don't think he's told Tennessee anything, but um that that is one to watch that, that he said he's gonna go this week. And that that's that's a guy that Tennessee has put a lot of effort into. All right. So we'll see what happens with him. That's obviously big no big news there. We'll keep close tabs on that. Last thing for you, Rob, you've been working on the position or the uh, opponent previews. Uh, Florida ran on Monday, got one coming up later today. What, what's your takeaway on, on maybe Pitt, Florida, after looking at them in depth, getting, getting – we'll, we'll get a little football sample here out the door. Uh, Kane, you can jump in here too if you want to, to, to look at those. But, w- Rob, what's your takeaway after breaking those two teams down? Uh, man, I mean, my biggest takeaway for both of them, and this is hardly rocket science, but so much depends on the quarterback position. I mean, for both those guys, I mean, I think we've all seen Anthony Richards and he's kind of a tantalizing talent for Florida, but you know, is, is he ready to, to be the guy to run an offense? And he's also, you know, Tennessee's going to be catching him in the fourth game of a new offense. I mean, is he ready to really have all that put on his shoulders? And I think one thing that will make it difficult for him, or at least challenging for him is that if you look at Florida's roster, not, not really stocked, with playmakers at the skill positions don't have a lot of dynamic guys there. Like we, like we've seen in the past, you know, even, even when Florida has been, been down, I mean, they've had some big time playmakers at certain spots in the last few years. I don't see that on this roster. I mean, somebody could emerge, but I think Richardson's burden is going to be made heavier by the fact that he's, you know, I don't think he has a lot of guys that can take something small and turn it into something big. And at Pittsburgh, you know, kind of the same thing is Caleb Slovis, the guy, I mean, they, they lost, you know, Pickett, 
the only quarterback in the first round. They lost Jordan Addison, who was one of the most dynamic receivers in the country. And um, I just don't see them plugging in and, and picking up the slack. I mean, Slovis had a great freshman year and kind of fell off the map. They have a new offensive coordinator. So Tennessee catching them early, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. I think both those things play in the Tennessee's hands in, in those first two matchups. And Florida, yeah, yeah, outside of Britton Cox on, on defense, they don't they don't really scare you like they have so often in the past, just you know, with edge guys or or big time cornerbacks. I you know, it's it's not a rebuild like Tennessee fans have had to watch multiple times in the last 10 years, but if Florida is much better in the middle of the pack in the SEC, I'll be surprised. Yeah, I'll add quickly, too. I, I couldn't agree more in, in the sense of uh, a lot of change uh, these two programs going through. Not necessarily as much for Pittsburgh, but as Rob pointed out, new play caller, a new quarterback. You're losing your biggest playmaker. Uh, you're going to have a sharp defensive line of front seven. Pittsburgh usually does. So how do you combat that? But um, can you take advantage of that first road game of the season for Tennessee and will be the first test? I think that'll play uh, big for the Volunteers and, and for Florida as well. Anthony Richardson, I think he's got one of the highest ceiling in the country. Um, but can he start making strides to reach that year one in a new system? Not as many playmakers, not as much help as you're used to. I think Tennessee, who I believe has uh, a lot of talent on this roster as well, needs to take advantage of that and should take advantage of that this year here in the early going. Yeah, we'll see. Richardson's been all about his legs. Can he do more than just his legs at the quarterback position? And Pittsburgh's defense never going to go away. They're always going to have a solid defense. Maybe not great, but they're always going to be solid under Pat Narduzzi. We'll continue our opponent previews uh, coming up throughout the, the rest of this week and into the early part of next week. And then uh, late next week, middle to late part of next week, we will start uh, with our position previews as well as SEC Media Days coverage. And then we'll get you ready for the start of fall camp as Josh Heupel will meet the media at SEC Media Days and then meet the media locally for the first time on July 31st. Mailbag Cup podcast coming up later this week, but that's going to do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price, Eric Kane, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.